There it is. Amen. 2018 is here. It's great to be mostly reunited as a church. We have some members that are still away on holiday, but for the most part, we're reunited and it feels so good, doesn't it? And our teens are over in Fiji, spending some time there. They come back. When do they come back today? You guys know when they come back. That's right, very late tonight. So prayerfully, they've had a fantastic time in Fiji, and we hope that God has spoken to them and increased their faith. That, that'll be great. And if it mentioned in the welcome about the Johns, although Paul did write more books in the New Testament than, than did John, God has indeed blessed us with another John Athun. And we have Jonathan Atungi from Chennai, India. Our brother, if you could stand up, just to let, uh, he's here for two years. His name is Jonathan, but might as well call him John for short. And he's here for two years studying a business program. So uh, welcome him. Make sure you get to know him. He'll, he'll be in Auckland for the next two years. That'll be awesome. And also as 2017 ended and 2018 began, I sent out two videos that kind of broadly describe 2018 for us. So if you've had the chance, look at that. If you have not had the chance, please do so. They're very brief, but I believe God wants to do great things for, for you individually and for us as a church in 2018. And I really pray that God can do more than we ask or imagine, and it kind of covers what we'll be teaching on Sunday and on Wednesday. So if, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, please see me afterward and I'll send you an email, and then you'll be more informed. But today, we start with the book of Galatians, and every Sunday, we'll be marching our way through the book of Galatians, and just to give you a spoiler alert, it's a very fiery book. It's probably Paul's first letter. If not his first letter, it's his second letter. And we get, we get a lot about his life and we get a lot about the gospel. And we get a lot about grace and how grace should change our lives and ought to change our lives. A lot about faith. So much about grace and faith that it became the cornerstone of the Reformation. Martin Luther read this book and at the end of it, he called it, he called it his wife. Whatever that means. But he, 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 he he read this book and said, man, this, this is the gospel. This has become my wife. And so it does, it does stand out a lot, as all books of the Bible do. But there's something, there's something interesting about Galatians because the gospel is at stake. And so for us to really, to, to really understand what's going on, here's modern-day Turkey, which is where Galatia was in the New Testament. And Galatia is considered a region, not a city. Now, that's, that's different because in the New Testament, for instance, Romans is a book to the church in Rome, right? First and Second Corinthians is a book written to the church in the city of Corinth. Most of the letters written by Paul are letters to cities where the churches are, to the Auckland Church of Christ, he would write. But Galatia is written to a region of churches. It's the only book that's written to an entire region. And it was founded on his first missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 13 through chapter 15. And he travels, if you follow the red dot from Syria, he travels to Cyprus and then to Paphos. And then he goes up into Galatia and he starts in Pisidian Antioch. They preach there. They start a small church. And then they get some persecution. They go to the next town, which is Iconium. They do the same thing. They preach and plant a small church there. 
And then they go to the next town, Lystra, they preach, they plant a small church, then they go to Derby, they preach, they plant a small church, and then they circle back through and they say, stay encouraged, it's going to be a rough Christian life because they're going to get persecuted, stay encouraged. They go all the way back and then they make their way back over to Syria. And so that's kind of Paul's missionary method, basically. Go to these cities, he preaches the gospel, a church is planted, he'll revisit it, and then, when needed, he'll write letters to those churches. Now, Galatians is, is very interesting because there was a regional problem. Now, when you talk about Corinth, there's things going on in that city, but in the book of Galatians, there's stuff going on in all of these churches in this whole region. It'd be similar. We're, we're in the South Pacific region, right? So it'd be similar if there was something going on in all of our churches. Someone had to say to the spa region. That's what's going on here. And so what happened is once Paul left, and I'm just going to give a bit of info before we dive in, because this, this will help us understand the bigger picture, okay? And if, if you don't understand this or you're not interested in this, go back and read a bit on your own, because it does help inform you about the book, okay? So he goes and he plants these churches, and then he goes back to Syria, that region. While he's gone, some other missionaries come to the region, and they do two things. They challenge Paul's authority... And they challenge Paul's message. They challenge the message of the gospel. And so when we read this book, we're entering into a battleground for the gospel quite literally. On one corner, you have the Apostle Paul who, who saw Jesus and was converted and immediately goes and starts preaching and preaches about grace and preaches about faith and plants churches and then in the other corner, you have these kind of false teachers who come in and, and start to question Paul and start to question his message. So Galatians chapter 1 and 2 is Paul defending himself and his apostleship. Chapters 3 and 4 are him defending the gospel. And chapters 5 and 6 help us understand the practical living of the gospel. Now, what, what would this be like? Imagine this scene. If Megan and I took a two-month holiday... Well, first of all, that'd be awesome in and of itself. But let's say we take a holiday. And in, in, in that holiday, a group of missionaries kind of come in. Now, they don't get up and publicly preach, but they come to your house. They start to eat dinner. They come to your Bible talks. And then they start to say things like, hey, John, who, who, actually, who actually gave Dave authority to lead the church? Who, hey, Raymond, who gave him the authority to actually speak on Sunday? What, what degree does he have? Why, what, what, why is he even here? Isn't he American? He sounds American. Why, what's going on? And then they start, they start to plant these seeds within the church, then, then the region. Hey, who is this Paul anyway? Was, weren't there 12 apostles? Did, did he actually get appointed by Jesus? I don't think so. Did the church in Jerusalem, did, did they appoint him? Where, did they get, where does he get his authority? I think Paul's an imposter. I think he says he saw Jesus. I, I, I don't think he's the real deal. I think he's just trying to flatter you. I heard him preach a different message somewhere else. And when he comes to Galatia, he softens his message a bit and says, you don't need to be circumcised. I think he's just trying to win your favor. Who gave him this authority anyway? And then they say, and on top of that, his message. He says, all you got to do is have faith and believe in grace. But you know what? You got to be circumcised as well. He's, he's not giving you the full picture. He's giving you an incomplete gospel. 
And, and you have to be circumcised. This, this is the whole gospel. If, if you don't think that's true, there, there's, there's trouble going on in Jerusalem. And, and there's about to be a council. And it's all about this. And Paul, he's just trying to win your favor. Or Dave. And so imagine Megan and I come back. And I come up here and everybody's like, oh, yes, where did he get this authority? Uh-huh. What, he is American. Yeah. And what message, his message. Now, imagine, imagine the skepticism of the church. Even, even if these claims are untrue, imagine just the skepticism. Because once you plant that seed, it kind of, you know how it is when you, when you say something about that, about someone. But then imagine my position. Paul's position. To get up and stand in front of the church and say, I'm sorry, I have to defend my apostleship. And then he has to defend his apostleship. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I have to defend the message of the God. That's what Paul's doing here. But he doesn't back down. I would be so timid. And Paul doesn't back down. This is one of the more fiery letters in the New Testament about who he is. And about what the gospel is. If you don't think so, if you read his letters, who wrote the most books in the New Testament, by the way, Paul did. But if you read his letters, he, he starts off pretty, pretty normal by saying grace and peace and thanks. You guys are awesome. And I love what's going on down there. And, and amen. And God's great. And, but Galatians is not like that whatsoever. It's very similar. When you go to people's homes, they enter in, they say, hey, how you doing, bro? How you doing, sis? Come on in. Have a drink. Have a chat. Let's have some biscuits. Let's talk. How you been? Let's catch up. Blah, blah, blah. Sports. And then finally, hey, why, why don't we get around to some serious business and chat a little bit, right? That's kind of a normal flow. But if you come to our house and as soon as you knock, in, knock on the door, I say, come on in, bro. Sit down. We need to have a chat. Get on the couch and let's get down to business. That's Paul in Galatians. That's Paul in Galatians. Hey, Jesus is awesome. But let me tell you something. Come on. Let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you what the gospel is. And so from this book, I really believe as, as, as individuals and as a church, we'll understand some core aspects of the gospel, how it impacts you as a person, how it impacts us as a church, and what the gospel is all about. Come on. And how we can believe in it deeply. Amen? Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. And believe it or not, we're going to look at three verses this morning. Galatians is, is packed full of stuff. And I had a hard time deciding. There's so much in this first chapter that I wanted to split it up into three different lessons. Wow. Let's pray and then we'll read the first three verses. God, we're, we're so grateful for Jesus on the cross and the resurrection, which brings us this new life. We're so grateful for the missionary travels of Paul, which planted the church. We're grateful for the Holy Spirit, which is present inside of us and inside of the scriptures. I pray that as we read it, that it stirs our minds and calls us to action and helps us understand this message clearly, definitively, unswervingly, so that we can live lives worthy of the calling. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, given all that context, they're questioning his authority, they're questioning the gospel. The first words, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me, which is an interesting way to kind of claim unity, but also draw division. I'm an apostle, but all the brothers and sisters are with me. Clearly, I've been a bit differentiated from everyone else, although we're all unified. 
Verse 3, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now sit out on the couch and let's get down to business. That's basically how the rest of the chapter goes. Two points this morning. Number one, the gospel is not... Man-made. The gospel is not man-made. Paul makes that very clear, and will continue to make that clear throughout chapters 1 and 2. In verse 1, I'm an apostle, and I was appointed by men, a group of men, and there was no man that appointed me, but Jesus Christ himself appointed me. It's a simple phrase, but it's profound in its implication. It's not man-made. Now, you, you have to think about this. Almost every other system is man-made. Yeah. You know, if you read about belief systems, political philosophies, or economic theories, or whatever, there's normally, it boil it down, and there's some figure that sat around and thought about this philosophy or this idea, wrote about it, refined it, and then puts it out there and wins followers. All right, And then somebody else pops up and says, no, that's not right. We should do this political system or this economic theory. And then it goes on and on and on. But all these things are man-made when you boil it down. They sit around and think them up in their brains. But Paul's saying, that's, this is not like any of that. This is not man-made. I was not sent from men, nor by a man. Paul doesn't use that phrase in any of his other letters. He wants this church to know that you got to remember the context here. Look, I was not sent by, you want to question my authority? Look, I wasn't sent by men. I wasn't sent by a man. I met Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. And again, they're questioning him. You're an imposter. You had an imposter come through. He's not appointed by Jesus. He's not the original 12. The church in Jerusalem hasn't given him the authority. And here he is coming saying, men didn't send me. I was sent by Jesus. And basically he's saying, what, what, I, what I heard from Jesus, I'm passing on to you. I'm not the authority. Jesus is. He's kind of pointing the finger to Jesus. Look, if you got problems with the message, then you have problems with Jesus. Similar today when, when we point people to the Bible. And we, we say, bro, you got to change. Sis, you got to change. Oh, you telling me I got to change? No, I'm telling you what the Bible says. Right? This is kind of similar phenomenon that, that goes on today. But we see Paul live this out immediately. When he gets converted, what does he do? He gets up and he starts preaching. That's the very next verse. After he gets baptized. Because he believes, I'm not sent from, I'm not attributed to this by man. God sent me on this message. And so how does this, try to think about how this translates to our everyday life and to the life of the church. Imagine if everybody in this room adopted this simple conviction. I'm not sent by man, I'm sent by God. And while it's a very simple, subtle phrase, it's very, very profound. You know, it's, well, none of us have had an encounter with Jesus like Paul that I'm aware of. But we have been given the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and we've been given the commission to go make disciples. That, that's not from man, okay? That's from, that's from Jesus, and so, what, what that means is everything else is to be judged by the gospel message. 
Not the other way around. Now here's what most people do. They come to church and if they, they may critique or analyze me and on the result of what I say or don't say, they'll make some, a comment about the gospel message. Or they'll come to a church and they'll visit a church. I don't like this and I don't like that about the church. Therefore, I'm not interested in the gospel message. They're judging the, the thing that's not supposed to be judged. They should be saying, does this match with the gospel? Because that's what you judge it against. Does that make sense? Yeah. Alright, so we should be looking for the gospel. and not who's not, Although those presenting it should have a blameworthy life and try to live it out. You match their life to the gospel. You don't say, oh, that guy is not doing it. Or that church not doing it. Therefore, the gospel isn't true. It's the other way around. The gospel is not man-made. And so, it, it, it should change the entire system of our thinking. No matter how articulate or inarticulate you are, if you're presenting the gospel message, it's the gospel message. Because it's not from man. And it's not from men. And I believe if we all adopted this, man, it would zoom in our focus. If you woke up tomorrow morning, you said, I have a, me- I have a message, and I'm on a message from God, not from men. That would change the way you went about your day. That would change the way you interacted with people. It's easy to get lost in the busyness of life, isn't it? With the distractions, and there are plenty, and the drama, and there is plenty. But if you woke up and said, I've been given a message from God, it would change the way you interacted. It would change the way you fellowshiped. Because it's easy to get lost in the, this brother's doing this, or this sister is not doing this. These people are saying this, and there's quirks about this person, and there's flaws about this person. None of that matters when we're on a divine mission from God. Right? Because the gospel is not man-made. It gives us a freedom. It gives us a boldness. Because it's not about us. It's about the gospel. I believe it gives us tougher skin as well. And you, you and I both had experiences where we've interacted with somebody. We've tried to share the gospel with them. They rejected us. Or they get really close and they turn us down. That's painful, right? Imagine Paul's case here. The very church he planted is now looking at him and saying, we think you're an imposter. I'd be so tempted to back down. So tempted, ah, but Paul says, I'm not an imposter. I'm not. It's, I'm from God. And let me tell you, he gets fired up. <laughs> I think, man, it gives him so much more freedom to not be concerned about men. Because he's on a mess, mission from God and not from man. It becomes less about us and more about the message. I think if we all adopted this, our church would change. And we'd change the landscape of this city as well. Amen? Point number two this morning, the gospel is a story of rescue. The gospel is a story of rescue. That's verse four. I think I said I'll read the first three verses, but I read the first five. That was my original intention from the beginning, just in case you're confused. But don't judge me by that. Judge me by the gospel. In verse 4, Paul says, he, he kind of gives the theme of the book. It's, it's a rescue mission. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. We're captive by our sin. We're captive by the present evil age. And Paul will, will go into detail. This is kind of the major themes of his letters. My authority... And the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is a rescue story. And you've been rescued from your sin. You've been rescued from this present evil 
age. Now, in, in the grand story of the Bible, it, it says that man has gone astray and needs rescue. And there's all kind of rescue story. You, you could summarize the entire Bible by saying it's a rescue story. Couldn't you? You think about Noah. You think about Joseph. You think about Israel. You think about the apostles when they're being rescued out of jail. Everybody's getting rescued from everything all the time. The gospel is a rescue story. And the New Testament goes on to explain the resurrection of Jesus is when the rescue really begins. That's when the rescue mission really begins. It's begun right now. That's what the New Testament writers are saying. Now, why why is that important? Well, because Paul uses this phrase, we've been rescued from the present evil age. In Judaism, they thought in two simplistic terms about history. The present age and the age to come. Right? That's kind of, in the present age, everything is sin and suffering, but... When Messiah comes, he will reign with peace and he will reign sovereignly. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more suffering and we'll feast together for eternity. So they equated the coming with the Messiah basically with heaven. All right. Present age, age to come. Two distinct periods. But the way Paul sees it, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, he's kind of rethought his own Thinking and thought, wait, 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 it's it. Jesus has come and the rescue mission is it's begun now. Now these two ages overlap. We've been rescued, even though we're living in sin and suffering in this present age, we live a resurrected life in the age to come. And it started now with the resurrection of Jesus. Now this would have been revolutionary because they were waiting and waiting kind of for heaven to happen. But Paul says, no, the rescue has started now. And I I believe this, again, is a very powerful concept if we adopt this in our everyday life. And one of the reasons is, you know, every generation kind of thinks or has a label for its generation and the following generations, right? Anybody here, Generation X? We don't even know it. I don't know. Generation Y or Baby Boomer. There we go. So baby boomers, they, they have things they say about their generation. And, and then each generation kind of says, oh, that young generation, they're not hardworking. Or that young generation, right? We all, we, I'm sure you do. Millennials, right? How many of you are millennials? Carlos. He's the only one. The teens. So every, genera- every generation says that, right? Like, but, but this passage, it doesn't matter what generation you're in. It's a present evil age and you need rescue. Amen. That's the bottom line according to Paul. Now the word rescue in verse 4 occurs several times in the book of Acts. Here are two that are very significant. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is about to be killed and he preaches in front of this crowd. And he says this, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. How does the story of Joseph go? He's out trying to check on his brothers. His brothers see him in the distance and say, let's kill him as brothers would, right? As you do, they say, no, 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 let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. And let's sell him into slavery, as if that's any better. But he gets sold into slavery, but he gets rescued, and then he becomes second in command. And, and, And Stephen uses that exact same word to say he was helpless, he was vulnerable, he was powerless, but God rescued him. And he plucked him out of that situation. 
It's the same word later in the same speech by Stephen where he refers to Israel. And he says, Moses came, and I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come back to set them free. It's the same word, but they translate it differently. I've come back to rescue them. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. And we know the story of Exodus. Moses goes in, and finally the plagues, and then they are up against the Red Sea. And Egypt comes back, and the walls of the sea part, and they go through, and they are Rescued, And so this imagery is pervasive in the Bible. And this was Paul saying, the gospel, it's not about doing this or doing that. It's a rescue story. There's nothing you can do when you need rescue. No one rescued would say, I earned my rescue. You've been rescued. And this, this, is, this is the powerful concept of being rescued. When Jesus comes on the scene, he starts touching lepers and people that are sinful. And everybody says, oh, you shouldn't be doing that because now you'll be sinful. But he's rescuing them. He's giving them power and absorbing their sin. And he's rescuing all these people. And when he resurrects, he offers rescue to everyone. Amen. And so the gospel is a story about being rescued. We can't underestimate how powerful this message is, okay? This is a powerful, powerful message. And again, if if everyone woke up tomorrow morning and says, the gospel is a story about rescue, and I haven't been commissioned by man, I've been commissioned by God, I've got to tell people about this rescue story. If you understood how much you've been rescued, your zeal and your gratitude would be completely renewed. Amen. Maybe you've been a Christian a year, five years, ten years, or twenty years, but I encourage you the next week to sit down and say, what was I rescued from? Who was I? Even if you, if you didn't think you were that bad and you tried to live a good life, the good life was you're trying to rescue yourself. And that's what Paul realized. He wasn't necessarily bad in the terms of the world, but he realized everything I did that I thought was good, I was trying to save myself. And that was sin as well. But if it is a story of rescue, it should bond us all together too, right? The truth is, if a ship goes down, I don't care who's in the lifeboat with me, as long as I'm in the lifeboat. Right? So in the fellowship, sometimes the longer we see it, again, our quirks and flaws and, and idiosyncrasies may become highlighted. But if we're in the lifeboat together, I don't care. Because we've all been rescued. I can, I can overlook that stuff. I can put up, and you can put up with me. We can put up with each other as long as we're all in the lifeboat together. Does that make sense? And that's the story of the gospel. We're all in this lifeboat together. We've been rescued. And, and if you're considering Christianity, if you think you're good, then I, then I really encourage you and invite you to, to study out the life of Paul. He thought he was good, and then he meets Jesus and realized all that was rubbish. Or if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you think, yeah, but my life is so messed up. Hey, if God can reach down and pluck Joseph from a pit and make him second in command, if he can reach down and part seas, if he can rescue these stories in the Bible, for sure he can rescue you. The gospel is a story of rescue. And these two themes we'll study out in the following weeks. And I really pray and believe that the gospel will will drastically change the way we think and the way we live. This morning in these five short verses, we've seen these two themes that will continue in chapters 1 and 2. They're challenging Paul's authority. And Paul will let them know it's not given by man. 
This was given to me by God. As we examine these, I pray that we can also come to the conclusion we have authority from God and we can be free from trying to please men. It's not man-made. And secondly, we can all reflect on how we've been rescued or how we need to be rescued. And how we all bond together in this boat because the gospel is a story of rescue. And I pray these truths call us to action as an individual and as a church. Amen. Amen.